What happens if a ghastly grinner encounters a silent servant? Well, that would be horrendous because that's kind of like if the ghastly grinner has the power, the dragon power, then he can get the silent servant to basically, they can double up on mayhem. He would have a ghastly servant or a silent grinner. Oh, I see. Winner, winner, silent grinner. Bye. Like Blake and his leper colony in John Carpenter's The Fog. By campfire, we conspire. Tonight, if you see blood flow behind the row, that's just a mute but devoted scarecrow. And a microwave is the only way to make this pesterous jester behave. I am so scared. I think I'm going to eat some marshmallows to sate my fear. I'm scared of eating marshmallows. Because of the pajamas? They just gross me out. I like the pajamas, but not the insides. Fucking disgusting. Gross. (laughs) Good evening, match scratchers. Pick a patch. Scratch a match. And brew up from a wicked weed and repulsive root, a horror-laden batch. Follow the drying leaves to the dying fire-lit clearing. Here, we'll recite chilling tales and ignite cooling coals. Lob another log upon the fire if you claim you're unafraid. You're a goddamn liar. When midnight chimes, they will meet, submitting sick tales to scare. Master your fear, stoke the heat, embrace the glowing orange glare. Match scratchers, never fear. Dr. Red Devil with a ruh, ruh, ruh. And falsetto, no mister, accent on the toe, are here. Lock up what will easily scare. Sequester that which you'd rather not share. That foreboding fireside rustling in the thicket was likely only a bear. Good evening, match scratchers. When midnight chimes, we both will meet. Podcasting slick, sick tales to scare. Master your fear, stoke dying heat. Embrace the coals, glowing orange glare. Balsetto, no mister, accent on the toe, and... Dr. Red Devil with a ruh, ruh, ruh. Welcome to Campfire Scary Tales, where our campsite will affright till morning light. If you once enjoyed, still enjoy, or will enjoy henceforth and in perpetuity, Nickelodeon's very own Are You Afraid of the Dark broadcast that terrified Tot and Teen alike in the early 90s. Then you will feel right at home on the forsaken rocks atop the speaker's stone throne while occupying temporary nocturnal space in this chillingly convenient clearing where fellow match-scratchers meet to pour tales of terror upon an open flame. These terrifying testimonies are far from tame. 
the most unnerving, unsettling, and upsetting scary tale wins the game, and striking matches, along with striking deeply into your core fear gland, proves their aim. If you're soon too frightened or anxious to sleep, if you intend to scream, but can nary muster a peep, if your once spry movements retard to a lumbering creep, and becoming a slave to your fears, you have but yourself to blame. Between midnight and first light, we meet, our appetites prepped for delicious tales of fright. In your own unease, crawling skin, tingled spine, and sweaty brow, we take delight. It will be hours before you can see anything beyond our proximal campfire light, our weekly nightlight. We cleared, constructed, and consecrated this campsite. In our match scratch society, we revel in delight. Today, you are tricked or treated, depending on your point of voodoo, with our fourth submission, Tale of Terror. Between midnight and first light, strike a match and a new batch of dismaying fears and anxieties not allaying tales hatch. The goal is to the last told tale outmatch and leave the loser to the victor begging for a rematch. With that, match scratchers, sleep deeply and remember to your bedroom window latch. Podcasted for the auditory approval of the Match Scratch Society, we whisper through the mic. Our fireside submission, sometime between midnight and first light, of Campfire Scary Tales, Submission 4, The Silent Grinning Matchstick Society. Play ball and slay while the sun shines. On blue goo, this jester dines. Scary pastime in blue slime. Silent Servant slash Ghastly Grinner. I remember these episodes remarkably well. I, of course, watched both live in real time, and I remember watching Ghastly Grinner with my father, which I will speak to a little bit later. In Silent Servant, I watched alone. I was a silent servant to Are You Afraid of the Dark as I watched The Silent Servant. It controlled you. We have an immediate disclaimer. Boo, boo, boo. That needs to be relayed immediately. There has been recent talk and discovery. There are people out there who might hold Goosebumps, like the Goosebumps franchise, in a loftier light than Are You Afraid of the Dark? Now, I will admit, I was an avid reader of Goosebumps novels. I would get my hands on the next edition as quickly as possible, and I would read them in elementary school. The books were good. Do they hold up as an adult? No. The show Goosebumps, which of course came out years after the 1992 Are You Afraid of the Dark premiere, was enjoyable when I was of that age. However, upon reflection, looking back retroactively on the merits of that show, personally, I can't speak for Dr. Red Devil. I think that Goosebumps pales in comparison to the splendiferous showing of several Are You Afraid of the Dark episodes. Better acting, less obnoxious characters, possibly more interesting stories. I like some of the plots of Goosebumps, but the execution, it just seemed like really shitty production values, and it's just too much, and it, it doesn't work. Why do you think Are You Afraid of the Dark holds up in a more structured and lasting way than Goosebumps? Why? Well, I don't think Are You Afraid of the Dark did a lot of the... I guess when I think about Goosebumps, there's a lot of creatures 
that doesn't usually date very well. The special effects. Right. Whereas, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Take the Silent Servant. Because they're using practical effects, and because they're not trying to go for broke in every episode, it just has a working nostalgic quality. Also, I will mention that, whereas the Goosebumps novel first came out, I believe they released two novels in July of 1992, barely one month before the initial broadcast of Snick's Are You Afraid of the Dark? I will tell you that I think that Are You Afraid of the Dark was preternatural in recognizing an established audience, because technically, Are You Afraid of the Dark originally aired a pilot episode of Twisted Claw as early as 1991. It was a Halloween special to introduce Are You Afraid of the Dark to an American audience, because it already existed in Canada as early as 1990-1991. So it was actually a premiere episode, The Twisted Claw, that came out in 1991. And then, of course, the SNCC would pick up Are You Afraid of the Dark in an official capacity where we would be gifted the Phantom Cab. So I just think that's worth noting because Goosebumps has made a recent resurgence on Hulu. And while we are willing to give it a shot, I would be more excited about a fourth Are You Afraid of the Dark revival. Any other thoughts on that, Doctor? Doctor? Well, I love the revivals. So if they do another one, I'm obviously going to watch it. This silent, shuffling scarecrow may walk at night, but just keep his straw ass away from our campfire's light. Make hay when the sun shines, slay when the sun drops. This straw hat servant might not scare deer, but in our human hearts, we feel real fucking fear. The Tale of the Silent Servant, excellent alliteration, is the seventh episode of the fourth season of Are You Afraid of the Dark, as well as the 46th episode in total. November 12th, 1994 was the air date. Now we're going to talk about Tales of Yore. When I was young, I once dressed as a scarecrow to scare my aunt and uncle who were in town visiting from England. And I was so pumped and I was so young and I was such an imbecile because I was standing there on the front lawn dressed as a scarecrow, holding my arms out (laughs) west and east, thinking that I would pass as a anthropomorphic legit shit silent servant of my own. Well, that's not how scarecrows work. They require being placed on a cross or a crucifix or being on some sort of stilt or some sort of wooden easel to stay upright and not move in the wind. You can't just have a scarecrow made of straw just standing for days at a time. Well, they were kind and they pretended that I was an actual scarecrow while I was standing there in the summer with a burlap bag over my head and a hat on top of said burlap bag. And then I remember lunging at my aunt in an attempt to scare her. And I don't know why I did that, <laughs> but my father said, well, at least they won't forget this trip. Yep. Mm-hmm. But I was obsessed with the idea of scarecrows coming to life, having humanistic qualities. And so I used to love the hay bale blocks that we'd get from a local farmer for decoration. And it might still be to this day, my favorite Goosebumps book of all time, The Scarecrow Walks at Midnight. We are looking at the cover right now. It's fucking fantastic. And I recently read the book description, and I remember it's like a brother and sister that go to their family farm, uncle, grandparents, something, and they make them chocolate pancakes. Ooh. And not one, but multiple scarecrows, I believe, start coming to life and walking the grounds behind the rows. And I just thought that was so cool. And I love the idea of going out to a farm, even though I never had a farm to go out to. But that was something that was fun to do as a kid, whether it was Old McDonald fucking farm or whatever. But I really, really am enamored in an eerie way with scarecrows. 
What about you, Doctor? I think the first Scarecrow, which he's not even a Scarecrow, if we're going to be honest here, but the first Scarecrow-like creature that really freaked me out, Jeepers Creepers. Very creepy. Especially whenever that scene, whenever they're coming out of the old lady's house or the old lady's coming out, and then he is standing there like a Scarecrow. I guess that's why I think about that. Well, you, you have a Scarecrow moment in Jeepers Creepers, but in the sequel, when the bus is laid siege to and attacked, that's where you really get to see Jeepers Creepers on full-blown crucifix scarecrow display. Yeah. That's where he pretends to be a scarecrow, and it leads to a very effective, terrifying sequence. And that's Jeepers Creepers 2, which is a good sequel, decent movie. But I think Jeepers Creepers is loosely dressed as a scarecrow, and that's why it works. And you know what I think is hilarious? When people make scarecrows, and then the crows are just sitting on their arms. Like, isn't that the whole point? The crows aren't scared. I'm just saying, why are you making scarecrows? I will say for the unpardonable pedants out there that he's actually the creeper, but I just call him Jeepers Creepers. I will also say I did some research on the effectiveness of scarecrows. And for a scarecrow to work, you have to move it around constantly. Because if the birds, you know, um, recognize a pattern of it just remaining sit. still, yeah, uh-huh. they just get used to it. Well, and crows are very smart. That's the other thing. I don't know. So why are we trying to outsmart the crows? I mean, I don't know, guys. Maybe we should just let them eat our plants. But the scarecrow, it's kind of a misleading expression because does it scare the crows or are the crows scary? Perhaps both. I don't know. I'm scared of the crows. I'm just saying. They'll peck your eyes out and not give it another thought. They'll make eye soup out of your sockets. This is your elucidating excursion into nocturnal appreciative as it is secretive, submitted and approved trivia. Brian Dooley who plays the dad in this episode, was also in, I recently mentioned this, The Tale of the Phantom Cab, which was the premiere episode under Snick on Nickelodeon as the cab driver Flynn. Everybody loved Flynn, by the way. He was great. Yep. I'm kind of dead. I sort of died. Oh, okay. It's okay. It's been a while. You got it. I was an original watcher. You came to the ball late. You're right. Mm -hmm. John Walsh. Now, where do we know that name? We know that name. He was on Fox. His son was kidnapped. In real yeah. life. And he started- Unsolved Mysteries. No. Oh. No, that's Robert Stack. Oh, damn John it. Walsh was the guy that ran America's Most Wanted. That's right. He was he was great. Like, you listen to what he said. And then he would go on to be a host of some other shows, like Rescue 911, or I can't remember. But he portrayed the silent servant Scarecrow. He returned to the show in the series Revival. He was a stunt double car driver in the episode, The Tale of Highway 13. Some good dialogue here. We have George and Ann Peterson. The dragons have been stolen. Have you seen my dragons? We haven't seen any dragons. The better for you then. Such sorrow. I used to see rainbow-colored lights. Now darkness. Such sweeping blackness. He made me this way. His evil was contagious. He raised the silent servant. Betty Ann, the storyteller here, tells fantastic stories, by the way. She always has something intellectually stimulating or satisfying to say at the beginning. You read for Betty Ann, please, Doctor. Doctor, doctor, silence is power. The power of the unknown, the unspoken. It can be a blessing, a welcome moment of peace, or it can be evil. The trick is to know when to welcome it and when to be very afraid. Submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society, I call this story The Tale of the Silent Servant. We are at the campsite of fright. Betty Ann is effectively the storyteller. We learn in the real life 
backstory, she would not let her friends, Frank the Tank and Freaky Kiki, sneak into the movie theater that she had already paid for a ticket. She is a rule follower. Frank and Kiki are jerks, by the way. They're giving her some ribbing for this. She thought it was wrong so she could stand up or stand silent. She chose to stick to her morals. Well, some people could see her as being a little Puritan son of a bitch. I actually see her as being just mildly righteous. Silence can be a blessing, she says, a welcome moment of peace. She delivers the best monologues, I think, or really they're horror logs. Horror logs. But not horror logs, as it's already established that she is right, a Puritan. Right, she has morals. Mm-hmm. The trick is to know when to welcome it or be afraid, she says. Okay, here is your drinking game for purposes of the silent servant, or the silent spirit, as it were, because you're drinking spirits, of course. Every time Latin is spoken, or pig Latin, whichever, specifically, calo vecto solemnis, they say this about 15 times. (laughs) I love it. It's so hilarious, especially when the little girl says it. You may or may not be speaking intelligible Latin by the end, but you will be speaking in fucking tongues. This can also include specific commands issued. So, calo vecto solemnis. Now we go to the tale of terror after you say what you were just about to say. I was just going to add to your screaming, but I'm sure I'll have an opportunity down the line here. We have a very creepy and effective cold open. There's a barn, hay, a bone. It attacked me. It's here. We don't know what it is. Calo vecto solemnis. Drink up, kids. I told you never to reveal yourself, a second man says who appears to be in command. I command you be still. He's speaking into a shed inside a shed with a door. What the fuck is going on? Okay, this is really weird. 20 years later. Okay, I don't mind cold opens at all. Sometimes I like them. Breaking Bad has some great ones. So this kid is a cousin of a female kid, and he loves baseball. Immediately, you and I are thinking the Sandlot. Yep. Mm -hmm. The Silent Servant Sandlot. Check out that triple word alliteration score. Okay, the girl's a wimp. The window is broken because he threw it too far knowing that she didn't want to play catch. So it's really... It's his fault. I'd say Mm -hmm. it's about 70% his fault for instigating the game of catch. She's got to assume some responsibility. Well, then we get Flynn, and he's really cool here, and his shirts are so tattered, stained, and disgusting. But he works on a farm, so you give the guy a little break. Take these beans to Mr. Galloway down the road. Well, they just broke a window, so they're kind of getting off to a shitty foot start, right? But we see a grave, a headstone, John Earlstead. 1905 to 1974. Well, the math adds up. Great continuity. Because now it's 1994 when we're seeing this on Are You Afraid of the Dark? And so 20 years later would take you back to a fateful night in 1974. The question is, even though the math adds up, does that mean he died that day that we saw him? Well, he either died that day or sometime that year for this to be 20 years later. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. My assumption was he died that day, whatever was in that cabinet. Yes, yes. Interesting indeed. We learn at the cemetery that he was a sorcerer and that invisible servants worked his farm. This invokes so much. The House of Dyes Drear, slaves, hidden spirits. But there's just something, don't you think? There's just something very disconcerting about the expression invisible servants. That's really weird. Well, and I'm just saying... As a hard and fast rule, if you're having to control something, it's not going to end well for you whenever you relinquish your control or lose your control. Especially if you can't see the thing, you know? Yeah, that's that's true. Mm -hmm. So the boy decides that 
he wants a dugout for his baseball plane with these boards that initially they had used to build a fence around their garden so that the local wildlife would not destroy it. We learn that, just like the running theme of a lot of these Are You Afraid of the Dark episodes, beware what you wish for. This will be a constant theme not only in the vast majority of the episodes, but several of the episodes that we do for these special 26 episode selection. But we see this scarecrow. It falls down in this barn, and it is lifeless. It's just like a wooden scarecrow, but it is so scary. It kind of reminds me of that scene in John Carpenter's The Fog, when the father rises up and greets the woman. Oh, hello, father. It kind of reminded me of that. But it's also very scary music that is played in this episode, and I love it. So sometimes the score is on point. Good death comes to those who wait. That creepy guy that we briefly saw at the beginning. George. We see him again. He basically is there pretty soon to give a warning to these two children. Have you seen my dragons? Remember Latin? Remember you're drinking when you hear Latin. But we learn that the power exists between the dragons, whatever the hell that means. Also, there will be talk of breaking the spell. That will come into play. So we've got sorcery, we've got this macabre magic, and we've got spells and incantations. There's a lot packed away in this episode. Do you like things dealing with magic, spells, incantations? I know you like Harry Potter. I mean, I like watching it. I would not mess with it. So you wouldn't want to have a Harry Potter wand? Well, if it's a fake one, sure. Mm. I would love to have a Harry Potter wand. I think they're all fake until they are basically commissioned by a sorcerer. Well, if I got a letter from Hogwarts, then I would get my wand at Ollivander's. So that's where you get real wands. I'm already getting lost rapidly. Silent servant. But the servant walks. The crows call. I love the crows here, by the way. The call of the crows. That's just as effective as hearing a creepy wind chime. And it just reminds me of our freaking neighborhood walk when all those crows come. It's so weird. There's just like this little pocket where the crows love it. Maybe there's a silent servant there. They're belligerent, and it is the Halloween season, so maybe they are in top form. Now, remember, this is vital, okay? The scarecrow is always listening. Always. Mm -mm. Yeah, this is kind of like, be careful what you wish for, almost crossing territory with the twisted claw. There are two characters here that are great at being creepy, George and the scarecrow. I mean, they really did their lines and their placement, and their blocking very well. Okay, there's a hidden compartment, which I always love those. Just like in the hidden compartment in Lincoln's desk, I believe, yep. in National Treasure mm-hmm. 2. But there's a, there's a hidden compartment in this dragon stone bone configuration, and there's an incantation held therein. And why is there suddenly an electrical storm? Electrical storms, always ominous, always foreboding. It is never a benevolent time when there's an electrical storm, or heat lightning, or anything of the like. The power! We actually get to one of the scariest runner-up scenes, which is when the kids go to the barn. Now, I apologize. Sometimes I will say things plot-wise that are slightly out of order. I only do that because when I'm compiling my thoughts, things will connect to other things, and it's like a game of, what is that game where you line up the things? Tetris? No, you, you line up the things with little pieces, and then when you get it, you hit the lever on the side, and then everything falls to the bottom and you have to start all over again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, like connector, connect four. Is it connect four? Oh, yeah. Where it's like pretty sneaky, sis. Sure. You're speaking about a commercial that came out in 1993. I'm sorry. I was watching Are You Afraid of the Dark on Nickelodeon. I wasn't watching those commercials. But the point is, is that that's kind of how my mind works when I'm compiling the data. But when they go to the barn and they encounter the servant and Crazy George, I think that is a scariest scene runner up. 
The barn is legit shit. It reminds me of the barns so thoroughly utilized in the Friday the 13th series. And I also think another scary runner-up, tell me if you agree, is when the when the SS, no, that's not a Nazi. Yeah, don't. It's mm-hmm. a silent servant. Yeah. Is behind them in broad fucking daylight all of a sudden. It's like, wham, lightning strike, boom, he's there. Ah! That was scary. And this scarecrow, kudos to the props department, right? Or wardrobe. Yeah, I mean, honestly, his face is really creepy. It's a good costume. I would love to be the silent servant, but, you know, let's face it. I would be the loquacious servant, so it would be LS. It's time for the silent servant to rest. Well, this boy gets a little overzealous and he speaks a little Latin. Take a drink. Whoops. Calavecto solemnis! Meanwhile, Flynn from Phantom Cab, the uncle, her father, he needs to take a shower. He's a farmer. His stains on his shirt, it looks like if you put a piece of cardboard under your engine in the garage for six years, that's what his shirt looks like. But suddenly, the servant is behind them, and it's very scary. It's like, what the shit? Day or night, it matters not, he is always listening. It's weird because he is then reclined and resting in the refuse area by the home. How did he get there? Why is he taking a nap? These are questions that I have. Why don't you fix the window and deliver the beans? Did you notice that these two kids are kind of being treated like slaves? Well, they have to work off the the cost of the window. That's what happens. There's consequences. But they don't say please. They just give commands, almost as though they're silent servants themselves. Wouldn't that be a trick if the show went in that direction instead? And the kids are like silent slave servants or something. But that's not the case. That's that's all fantasy. Well, they're two cousins, as you were nice enough to remind me. I just always assume they're brother-sister until told otherwise, but they are cousins. Well, they successfully deliver the window. I'm, I'm sorry. They successfully deliver the beans and the window is fixed. So the window is done and the beans delivered. But wait a second. The children did neither one of those activities. Doctor, can you explain this? How are those things achieved if the kids did not do them? Calavecto solemnis. So you're tempted to take a drink because she just said that, but you only drink. Do it. If it's done in the episode, thank you. Softball. Okay. Mark, who is their, I don't know, cousin, uh, her, brother, her, her older think, brother, whatever. Yeah, I, uh-huh. I don't care. The point is, he's a little bitch. Why is he a little bitch? What? I like Mark. Because he plays softball, not even baseball, like a man. Did you play baseball? Neither. Mm. I was playing kickball, like a winner. Mm. He's not strong enough for baseball. His dainty little feminine hands can't handle it. Now, <laughs> You're such an idiot. You know, it's actually funny because I distinctly remember him saying softball in the episode. But on all the data online, it says his baseball game. So they can't seem to get their shit together. Maybe up in Canada, baseball is softball. Same rules. I don't know. He might as well be playing wiffle ball with the little kids, though. I command you, colon, finish the fence. So the boy makes this silent servant do his bidding. This boy's already fucked up because he's been speaking Latin and issuing commands. And right after he saw the heat lightning. So that's stupid. I will say that the girl is, does not possess the most winsome personality, but she does have cute freckles. I will give her that. The fence is officially completed, so they get basically the afternoon off because this fence is done and it's done well in a matter of five minutes. The kids know something is up, but they got the day off and there's a baseball card shop that this kid wants to check out. This is the ticket to the best summer ever. He is right. Also very wrong. Very wrong indeed. I like that the girl tries to cancel the command. Yeah. Calabactus Anemnus, cancel that command. I don't know what guidebook she saw that led her to believe that you can even cancel a command. Well, because she's a girl and she's freaking smart and she's trying to get a man out of their trouble. She's employing lateral thinking for sure. I love the crow's cawing. I can't say it enough. It adds a certain aesthetic, a legit vibe. But what, what command did she cancel? Do you remember that? I don't really know that it matters because... It does. Well, it's, it's when he says... It's always chores and stuff. He's having the silent servant do the farm bidding. So it was either build the fence or build my dugout. Either one. 
Okay, what was it? He got mad because Mark accidentally took his glove and he said, man, I could kill him or something like that. And right, so- right. But that's not what she says cancel the command on. Oh, she doesn't? No, she says cancel the command um, prior to that was something more innocuous because okay. she already realizes that things are going south. Fine. I'm pretty- I I'm- concede. I'm pretty sure that's the way of it. I think what happens when he says, I would like to kill the one who did, there's lightning, there's more electrical storm activity. And I think she's like, what have you done? Okay, I see. What have you done? Uh, It's either the fence or it's the dugout, I think. But it's kind of like Homer Simpson when he gets wishes, you know, this kid's like, make me a sandwich, clean out the toilet, make me two inches taller. I mean, he's getting like a little ridiculous with his requests. Beware what you conjure, busted up pig Latin for. I'd like to kill whoever did. Whoops. He is overreacting about his glove. He needs to calm down, by the way. She speaks Latin, by the way, very well, better than he does. Now we're at a tailgate party. This is Mark's softball slash baseball game. The music, it's like kind of harmonica, kind of blues, bluegrass, kind of twangy. It reminds me of the same theme music whenever Bishop appears in the X-Men, the cartoon series, when a harmonica kind of comes into mind. It's like, like he's like showing up in a saloon in Texas or something. The silent servant walks among the cornstalks. This is his playground. This is his evil parlor. I like that he hides in the stalks, stalking among the stalks. He is great at moving silently, as you would expect, and not speaking. He's very good at this. His ninjutsu skills are upper echelon. Is he good at being a scarecrow? We don't know, because he's supernatural. What I do know is that Uncle Pete is fucked. This guy is sitting here trying to do his tractor business, and he then has to swap out some parts, and he has a bag of gloves, through no fault of his own, by the way, because these gloves were handed to him by Mark, his son. The girl is smart. She has this idea that the grave for this sorcerer who's been dead for 20 years, John Earlstead, she figures out that it is the gravestone itself that has the power to shatter the dragons. So she breaks the dragon bone on the gravestone. But that is right when the silent servant is approaching them. And that's very scary. That is the scariest part. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We are going to be there so soon, I promise. But as the scarecrow approaches Uncle Pete from behind in the dark field, I was getting heart palpitations. So the scariest scene, I think we could agree, is the SS getting all up in Pete's personal space. You know he will be killed by them hay hands. Straw hands? Possibly. Mm. Hey, straw. straw hand. Yeah. Let's go with both. I like hey hands for that alliteration. Hey Silent hands. servant and his hey hands. And remember alliteration because it's going to come into play a little bit later today. Lightning, Latin, Battlestar Galactica. See what I did there? <laughs> little office <laughs> reference kind of. No, but we get lightning, we get Latin, and he is there. Boom, right at the gravesite. All of a sudden, he is right there. He is the transported servant. We get a creepy montage. It shows basically all the things that we've seen in the episode. And all the evil goes back into Pandora's jar, so to speak. And how about that image of the smoke coming out of his melting freaking eyes? Terrifying. At least they didn't melt into bloody goo. There will be blue goo coming up very soon, along with some more alliteration. It's a very nasty ending because George rebuilds the dragon bone. Crazy goddamn George. There's always one. Just like I already mentioned Friday the 13th, there is like a crazy George in the Friday the 13th movies as well. Well, it's a great episode. The story was good. I loved it. I know you like the baseball component. Did you want to talk about the baseball component at all? Or just any part? Like, where does this stack up in, in your mind as far as scary quality TV production? Well, it definitely has a good moral story. I will say that. Like, don't be lazy. Do your other stuff. Take care of your business. I never really played baseball, but I always liked baseball, obviously. I make you watch the Astros all the time. Yeah, they so. lost. They lost. 
just this year, okay? And like 50 years in the past. Anyways. Look here, you little son of a bitch. Back at the campsite, Betty Ann ends her delightful story. Gary declares their meeting closed, and he puts out the fire. Sam tells her it was a good story. Betty Ann says thank you. Frank and Kiki decide that they're going to do the right thing. And to Betty Ann's surprise, they ask her to accompany them to a movie that they will buy the tickets for. She says, oh, you don't have to do that. But they insist. And they basically walk out together. And he says that he gets to pick the movie. And he's like, wait, what? I pick good movies, which is funny. Because he's the one that tells the story of the Midnight Madness. I'm pretty sure he tells the Midnight Madness story. Because Dr. Vink is usually his character of choice. So I think that might be an inside joke to that. Who knows? But as I said, the fire is put out by Gary. Typical conclusion of the conflagration, Smokey the Bear would be sated and satisfied. Now, the oral moral or the unholy grail of the tale, we are very proud to present you today. As always, there are four. Dr. Red Devil will proceed with reading the unholy grails of the tale. If you are going to toss a baseball at your cousin who has made it abundantly clear they both suck at and hate the sport near a pricey, fragile window, you only have yourself to blame for breaking the fucking thing. I'm just saying, okay, that's a really great point right there. If you're going to wear a white shirt to perform farm labor in, take frequent showers so you don't look like a soiled diaper on your thorax. But I'm just saying, okay, he would still look like a soiled diaper because he's not washing his shirt. The value in learning proper Latin in grade school as your elective language, you never know when it might be needed to suppress a silent servant. That's a really good one. Watching Jeepers Creepers 2 before going to your cousin's farm might just save your life, or at least make you feel more regretful for your scarecrow absconding decisions. Red Devil? Dr. Red Devil, how much did you enjoy this episode and why? Um, I would rate it a seven and a half just in comparison for all the others. I really do like it. Is it the top, like the tippity top of my list? No, but I do really enjoy it. Love the baseball. Love the lesson. Love the Calavectus alumnus. I just really like the set piece. I thought the farm was great. We don't even need to see the town. Just show us the farm. That's all we need. The logs may be wet, but are you drunk yet? Is your horrifying future set? Hooper Picolero might be meek as a sparrow, four-eyed and narrow, but she is sharp and direct as an arrow. Miss Piccolero is the real hero. This dame calls him Cakes, but it's his real life, not comic fantasy life, she forsakes. I feel, I don't know what the drinking game is, but I definitely feel like anytime Hooper says her whole name, I'm Hooper Piccolero. I sit next to you in biology class. I think you'll be satisfied with what I ultimately selected. Good. But it can remain a contender. The Tale of the Ghastly Grinner, see, there's more alliteration for you, GG, is the ninth episode of the fourth season of Are You Afraid of the Dark, as well as the 48th episode in total. When I was young, I watched this episode with my father, and he laughed at one line only, which was, there is only so much room, which will be discussed, but it's the teacher making fun of the main character, Ethan, for reading a comic book when he's pretending to pass it off as he's reading his science book. But he's reading his comic book, and the guy's like, Let us be weary about what we read, Mr. Ethan Wood. There is only so much room. <laughs> it's great. I was not a huge comic collector, but I was familiar with them, and I did have some. I was collecting pogs, comic book oh, cards. Oh, yeah, pogs. I like the holographic 
comic book cards the best. I had some Marvel and DC bling, to be sure, but I was not what I would know or consider to be others as an avid collector. Speaking of pogs, I had a friend who had a pog maker, and I made, this will tell you how nerdy I was, I made a pog with American Girl dolls on the pogs. So, yeah, I didn't have a lot of friends. I had a pog board that was the iconic symbol of Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat! Did you have slammers? I never had a I slammer. I had some slammers, sure. I mean, how else do you play pogs? It's like I a, had it's, to borrow other people's slammers. It's like a wiffle ball with no T. Well, that wasn't that cool, I guess. Well, if it's, wait, if it's a wiffle ball, so you play T-ball with a wiffle ball, but they can also call it T-ball. Yeah, well, a T, calling it T-ball, it just means it has to have the T, so. So wiffle ball would be pitched to you, I suppose, or you would just throw it up in the air yourself and hit it. I guess you could do it however you wanted. Wiffle's just a silly name. Yeah. Wiffle. Maybe it's the sound it makes. I'm going with that. August 29th, 1992. This, actually, I thought your story was what you were saying about comic books. Oh. I apologize. The date is December 3rd, 1994. December 3rd, 1994 is when the Ghastly Grinner came out. This is your elucidating excursion into nocturnal appreciative as it is secretive, submitted and approved trivia. When Ethan Wood lifts up the comic with a hole burned into it, you can see advertisements or advertisements for Are You Afraid of the Dark, as well as another Nickelodeon show, Ren and Stimpy. What? I didn't notice that. Oh, I yeah. wish I, wish I, I had known that. A cardboard cutout of the Crimson Clown with its gleaming gold eyes was seen in the shop. Fuck that. Yeah, and the, actually there was other things in there too. They didn't even notate here. Which we will get into. You know how it is on IMBD. It's scattered. Yeah, mm-hmm. Idiots. In the, tale of the, in the episode The Tale of C7, Lisa is seen reading the Ghastly Grinner comic book and in The Tale of the Manaha shows Steve has a copy too. I love this in-line joke shit. But those episodes... Mm, C7's okay. I would probably prefer to do the Manaha before I did C7, because that would make a great drinking game. Every time you hear the kids say, the Manaha, Manaha, like a fucking fool. But numerous superheroes and villains are seen in the background of a comic book store. Spider-Man, X-Men, Venom, Batman, Iron Man, Thor, Hulk, the Joker, and Daredevil. Four other posters are photos from elsewhere in the series. Crimson Clown, The Watcher from the Tale of Watcher's Woods, The Tale of the Dark Dragon, yes. Composer Ned Fisher stated this was one of his favorite scores to do. He joked he was trying to out-cheese Danny Elfman. DJ McHale initially wanted the Grinner to be all white, but makeup artist Anik Chartier insisted they use primary colors for him. I actually like the look of the Gaslight Yeah, it makes it more cartoonish. Very, very cool. Due to the way the Writers Guild of Canada contracts work, Ron Oliver, or possibly Olivier, French possibly, owns the rights to the Ghastly Grinner character, so permission must be asked in order to use his likeness. That's awesome. We are at the campsite of Fright. Once again, Betty Ann is the storyteller. Yo, fave! I really like her stories, yes, but I will not pigeonhole myself like that, because I think that several characters... I mean, with Gary, you get Sardo, no mister, accent on the dough. With Frank the Tank, you get Dr. Vink. It's tough, okay? But I do like Betty Ann. I think she's my favorite voice. That, at this point, is undisputed. Drinking game. You were waiting for this. If you want to get sloshed, imbibe your libation of choice. Every time the dreaded blue goo makes an unceremonious appearance, not required to simply be leaking out of the person's mouth. It can be anywhere. That will get you balls to the walls. or. 
you can take a big swig every time Blondie says Uncas, Sylvester Uncas. Or, as you so eloquently stated prior, every time Hooper says her own full name. There you go. Hooper Piccolero! We have what I call a bog fog. Frank is walking, and the logs are wet. They cannot light the campfire. Kiki, Freaky Kiki over here, Girl Scout troop leader, is rubbing sticks like a good Freaky Kiki Girl Scout, okay? Tucker has a graphic novel, not a comic, he says. It's a very slight distinction. What was that, Dr. Red Devil? What if comics were a guidebook to another dimension? Dimension. That's a very interesting premise indeed. Kiki actually starts the fire because she's a badass, or unperturbed, in her singular focus to show the boys up. You go, Kiki. Comic books, are they from somebody's imagination or experience? Fair question indeed. This will be about fantasy and adventure. Sprinkle in a little babbling horror, and you've got yourself a hell of a tale. The Tale of Terror. Now, these two episodes are similar in a way. You've got SS for Silent Servant, GG for Ghastly Grinner. Just off the top of your noggin, Doctor, which episode do you like better? Oh, easy, Ghastly Grinner, 9 out of 10. Really? Yeah, I love this episode. I like it too, but for me, it was a no-brainer the other way. What? I like the farm, I like the scarecrow, I like the scare factor, and the incantations, and the pig Latin. I think this is a little goofy, which is fine, but I'm telling you, I'm going to pick the best episodes based on how well-acted they are, or downright terrifying, at stupendous set pieces. I like this one, and I like, speaking of the makeup artist, you mentioned her in the IMDb trivia, I thought she did awesome. Like, Sylvester Uncas's daughter, the way her makeup was done, it was like a comic book character, kind of, like, very exaggerated, very bright colors, you know, it's really neat. I think they did a cool, cool vibe check here. She was really cool. She reminded me of the girl who was dressed as an elf in Home Alone that was working for Santa. She was just, like, really cool. There is a storm, much like we had electrical energy activity in the prior episode. Ethan is a young seether lookalike. I swear to God, his hair looks disgusting, and he is disgusting. But it works, because he's an artist. All black, atrocious, mangy hair has Ethan. Rejected, rejected, rejected. His art is not well sought after. Don't call us, we'll call you. He's having something of a panic, manic, Midlife crisis, so to speak, on his art. Midlife childhood. I feel bad for him. Now, there's a really cool pinball machine, by the way, where he lives. How about that? Okay, so he gets a card, and it's blue. Comic books, ink, fun, prizes, come early to avoid the crowd. He gets a legit shit invitation. Well, it's homemade, you can tell. As soon as I saw it, I was like, "Mm mm-mm, if I got that, that they're going to kidnap me. So the card says, come early to avoid the crowd. For the rhyme scheme, I added... So soon you'll unveil the sick jester's shroud. Crimson clown we see, watcher's woods, bookish babysitter night, and the dark demon. Ooh, we said more than it did on IMDb. Well, yeah, they said four, and then either I didn't copy and paste properly, or they just neglected to mention the bookish babysitter night. Oh. Either way, I love to see the inside jokes. It's it's just, it's fun, it's campy, it's well-received. I recognize all those monsters immediately, because I am a die-hard, are-you-afraid-of-the-dark question fan, exclamation mark, I am. What are you looking for, cakes? Okay, cakes reminds me of the angels with filthy souls flick in Home Alone. This chick is straight out of a smut, black-and-white gangster flick. I'm watching rubbish. I mean, she's over here calling this guy cakes. What time period did she crawl out of? It is so crazy. 
and her hair is cool, and she's got a black leather jacket. What in the shit is going on? She tries to give this guy Fishman, Dustboy. Blame. These are like superhero rejects. It's like the reject pile. Dustboy. That's who you are. <laughs> I'm a motherfucking Dustboy. <laughs> 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 I'm <laughs> everything. No, it's, it's the week, weekend. I know. Oh, Starboy. Oh, okay, okay. okay. Oh, no. As long as you understood. That's all that matters. Uh, I'm making you a theme song that's not Starboy. Oh, the motherfucking dust boy, Wiping up, getting spake and span, cleaning up the floor, wiping the bottom of the pan. He's dust boy. Oh, God. What have I done? Uncas, Sylvester Uncas, was taken by the Ghastly Grinner. Now, this Ghastly Grinner, like the artwork, looks amazing. This is a very, very, I would say original, although, sorry, original, it works, but the Joker. You cannot see Gasly Grinner without thinking right. the Joker. And, and I just want to say that I grew up watching Batman the Animated Series, and one of the first little songs that I learned as a Christmas song was Jingle Bells, Batman Smells, Robin Laid an Egg. Me and my brothers used to sing that all the time. Batmobile lost the wheel and Joker got away. I know, right. but the point mm-hmm. is, is that as this episode proceeds, there is more and more connection and continuity tied to the joker yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, which actually mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. next line here his laugh could reduce his victims to giggling idiots thank you where does this sound familiar why does this sound familiar the joker issue one volume one he only drew one issue and then he disappeared so we have a mystery that need be solved it is a grand opening special at this comic shop thank sylvester uncas so if you chose that as your drinking game drink up because we're getting a lot of sylvester uncas airtime here I love the comic scene transitions throughout the show. Every time they go to a new scene, just like Batman. Yeah. Like the the West Batman, where it's like, and we're at a new scene. The same thing is being done here. It's really cool. We have microwaves. These may or may not play an integral role later. Miss Picolero. Okay, the teacher looks like goddamn Stan Lee. Can we yep, say that? Yeah, obviously that's what needed to happen. Comic behind textbook. Sneaky Ethan. Except for an idiot because he had it upside down. Well, this is where things get interesting. This is the line that I spoke of prior. This is the line that my dad actually laughed at, even though he thought this show was mindless dribble. Priorities, Mr. Wood. We only have so much room in our minds. That is a low blow, mofo. That's the kind of stuff in today's day that could jump off a building after hearing some shit like that from his teacher. You need to be, mis- you need to be more supportive, bro. Okay, his folks look Italian. Like this is straight out of Jersey Shore mm-hmm. or the Bronx, New York. I mean, these guys are in matching jumpsuit pajamas. They're stuffing their face. I swear the guy has some sort of a greasy, slick back hair with like a gold chain. And he's like, what's that, Ethan? What's the problem? I swear to God, New York. The running commentary on TV, by the way, is hilarious that they're watching 24 hours a day. Popcorn is being enjoyed by Ethan, which I'm sure made you jealous. Because his comic was trashed by the teacher. It wasn't enough that he insulted him in front of his peers. But he drops his comic in an aquarium in the classroom. First edition. First edition. What a cockbag. That's what I have to say about the teacher, by the way. Which, (laughs) I don't often need a reason or an excuse to dog a teacher, because I was always Mr. Rebellious, yet also studious. I guess that makes me a walking, talking, podcasting contradiction. Hooper Picolero. Glasses, sweater, braces. She is awesome. She is one of the greatest female characters in the compendium of Are You Afraid of the Dark Greats, don't you think? Yeah, she's hilarious. I think she adds a lot to this episode. Here is the line that might be your favorite. So she's acting like a weirdo. She's embracing it. <laughs> oh, yeah. And she says, 
I think a person should know who they are and work with it. <laughs> she's got legit confidence, but she's not a bitch at all. I never got that impression. She just accepts herself for who she is. We can all learn a thing or two from Hooper Piccolero. The parents are about to make pizza waffles. Of course they are. Yum! That sounds amazing. So looking at all these plugs plugged into one outlet in the kitchen is a subrogation nightmare. And I thought of that, of course, recently, but not when I was watching this originally. I didn't know what the fuck subrogation was. Piccolero thinks Ethan is a great artist. She supports him. Thinks he has real talent. Boom! She hears over the phone. Did your house just explode? Well, she's not wrong. And it was a perfect sequence or storm of events. The cast in the wall or the door of the GG, Ghastly Grinner, is amazing. It's very comic bookish. There is a perfect silhouette outline of the contours of his body that has exploded out of the comic because what happened was Ethan put this soggy comic into the microwave and then the overloaded circuit blew up. Ghastly Grinner comes to life. Microwaves, you see. There is blue goo. This is where you're really going to start getting tipsy if you follow the blue goo route. Because blue goo starts appearing everywhere. It's coming out of the giggling mouths of all of the victims. It's on the wall. It dribbles down places. It's like the alien blood in Aliens. It is terrifying. I think he really is like the Joker. It's like the closest facsimile that I can think of, but I'm not the most original person in the world, although I am pretty damn original. He feeds off people's emotions, we learn. By the way, Ethan's parents have already been subjected to the mind control element of the GG. Her parents are bringing over a casserole or something to Ethan's house. Her parents are Betty and Bill. They are basically fucked because they are clearly going to be, just like in the faculty film, they're going to be transitions into giggling idiots. Bus number 156 for you unpardonable pedants out there. She has to be home by six o'clock. They are soon to be drones, her parents, as we all know. And again, I just thought immediately of the faculty teacher lounge. And if you watch that movie, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. The faculty turns the faculty one by one. Now, this bus driver, when his exorcist head spins around and he's spitting out blue goo and driving like a freaking Dallas, Texas maniac. I think this is the scariest runner up of the episode. The blue goo spewing bus driver. Agree. I think good call. And it comes out of nowhere. Totally out of the bag. This bus driver takes us for a wild ride. See what I did there? (laughs) So it's the Uncansian theory. Guidebooks to other worlds. What the fuck was Sylvester involved in? Not just comics. The Ghastly Grinner got Sylvester. We learned this. He was either taken, kidnapped, killed, who knows? We will learn this. And of course, as you already predicted, Uncas is the cool leather jacket wearing, nice eyeshadow or eyeliner makeup girl's father. The girl that calls everybody Cakes. What's up, Cakes? What's up, Johnny? No, no. Johnny, it's not like that. Well, what did he say? Oh, yeah? Well, AC ain't in charge no more. Home Alone. Love it. Hooper needs a microwave. Why? Because she's smarter than the rest of us, and she knows her full name. And we will learn about this microwave, and it will all come full emittive. It will all come full emittive circle. Scariest scene, can we agree? The GG stalking them ever so stealthily in the comic Mm -hmm, shop. That he just pops out. He is so quiet. He's like a silent servant, but he's a ghastly grinner. But he is over, like there's some blue goo on the glass, the little chef glass circle in the door so you know that he's there somewhere and then he's just above on a shelf looming over hooper and he just grabs her by her pigtails what the shit terrifying i was scared i was coughing up blue goo yeah but evan saves her and he gets taken into the comic book hooper picolero i sit across from you in science class 
times too. She says it at least twice in the episode, possibly more. <laughs> she's great, likable, winsome, charming, whatever you want to call her. She's also stu- studious and bookish, of course, hence the glasses and the braces. But she knows who she is and she works with it. Okay, huge eraser. So I have an eraser story. So there we were. I was getting my cancer chemo infusion treatment. And I told the infusion nurse, Stephanie, that we had befriended. I said, you know, I know I wasn't supposed to because I'm on chemo, but I got a tattoo recently and it's, it was supposed to be like this sword sticking through a malignant tumor and all this, and it's on my chest and they screwed it up and the tattoo artist totally boned me and I made a horrible, horrible mistake that I now have to have for life. So what did she get me when she believed my tall tale story? A big eraser for when you make big mistakes. And that was immediately what came to mind. Used to use those erasers all the time in our youth. The ghastly grinner, by the way, he gets the teacher. The same teacher that made fun of Ethan, he gets him good. Karma. No! And now the teacher is a giggling, blue, foamy mouth goo idiot. I like that she puts cotton in her ears and then they run because she's anticipating a big explosion. She's thinking ahead. And that's why Hooper's going to be all right in this world. She's a good actress, by the way. And she also has color pens. Yep. And she is the savior of this episode. Thank God she has color pens anyway. But there is blue goo on the door window. Terrifying. He picks her up by the pigtails, as we mentioned a little while ago. Hey, Smiley, who's laughing now? Okay, that's a pretty good line, I must say. Ethan got himself, even though he looked like a post-grunge, disgusting Seether lookalike, he just got it back right there with that line. She, with her brilliance and her ginormous eraser, she erases the ghastly grinner in the sketch. Then the eraser is on fire after there's another explosion involving a microwave. I've never seen an eraser on fire before. That was a new one for me. And you're talking about, per the Fire Ghost episode, a pyromaniac, right? So I've never seen an eraser burning like that. That fire, by the way, on the eraser end is bigger than the one that Kiki tried to ignite, although she would ultimately be successful. Hooper, you're laughing. Yep, she never laughed in the whole... She's very serious the whole entire episode. And then she finally laughs at the end, which is kind of funny because the ghastly grinner isn't making her laugh. But now, obviously, everybody wants to read the comic, right? So Ethan is giving us a learning experience. And if you persevere, if you... Well, in this case, he basically finished somebody else's work, but with permission. But if you keep going, it will pay off in the end. So, we are back at the campsite. One word is spoken. Ghastly. (laughs) Continues next issue. Fantastic episode, obviously, just like Silent Servant. The fire is put out by Gary. Smokey the Bear would be content. Nothing remarkable about this fire affair, although it did begin in an original way. It's time for the oral moral slash the unholy grail of the tale. To be read by Dr. Red Devil with a rah, rah, rah. If your professor drops your prized comic unceremoniously into the fish tank, they deserved to get bloody gooed by the bicolor jester madman. Blue gooed. It's like Nickelodeon slime. Remember that? They need to get blue gooed. If a gal reminds you of her full fucking name repeatedly and where she sits in relation to you in class, she wants to be your comic agent. Which is exactly what happens at the end. Ethan is a pronounced, successful, lucrative, graphic novel, cartoon, comic writer. And she is his agent, and she's got cool shades on. If you sustain a diet of pizza waffles and popcorn, you're already an idiot. You just require a blue goo injection of the giggling. I want to have some pizza waffles and popcorn, Josiane. Always, and I mean always. 
trust a closely cropped, blonde-haired, leather jacket-sporting, black lipstick outlines babe who inexplicably calls you Cakes. I would trust her with my life. Red Devil, how much did you enjoy this episode and why? Well, I already said 9 out of 10, so... Because of Hooper P? Yeah, love Hooper Piccolero. Love the whole comic book vibe. Love the ghastly grinner. He's cool, but creepy, even though it's comical. Do you think think he belongs in the unals of top 10 Are You Afraid of the Dark Villains? Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He's instantly recognizable. The logs may be wet, but are you drunk yet is your horrifying future set. Do not easily scare, as we declare this fourth two-parter episode of Campfire Scary Tales concluded. Dr. Red Devil with a ra 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 and I have, in fear-inspiring machinations, colluded and terrified your insides, unless it is we who are deluded. Collect your new batch of match-scratcher sheep, find a cold rock seat to warm, poke with your makeshift spear, the waning fire, roast those mellows before they exceed their shelf life, and expire. Master your storytelling and your fears upon this pyre, and await with deathless, breathless anticipation your next Campfire Scary Tale with Campfire Scary Tales. Submission 5. The Bookish Dreamy Matchstick Machine Society. Babysitter or Nightmare Transmitter. Read to escape. Type for your life. Medieval Machine and Evil Extremes. Dream Machine slash Bookish Babysitter. Your host, that's Falsetto, no Mr. Accent on the Toe, and co-host, Dr. Red Devil, with a raw, raw, raw. Until next time, Match Scratchers. It's the most fun at this secluded park when swapping campfire scary tales after dark.